Let's open up our Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 25. Matthew 25. We are in this series in the book of Matthew. We are about to land this plane uh, in the book of Matthew, the series called Follow Me. We're calling it that because the, okay, that's, what, uh, that's what Matthew heard from Jesus, these, those words, follow me. But because the book of Matthew is broken down into, into smaller segments, uh, the last part of the book of Matthew has a very specific focus, apart from just the, the narrative of Christ's passion. And that is in the last, in 24 and 25 of of Matthew, Jesus is about three days away from his own crucifixion, his own death. So he's preparing for his departure, but he prepares for his departure by preparing his followers for his return. So the question is, are you ready? Would somebody say it out loud? If he wanted them, think about it, he's talking to his followers And if he wanted them to be ready, how much more should we? Jesus taught that his second coming would be unmistakable. No one would have to guess whether he came or not. You wouldn't have to call somebody, hey, did you know Jesus came? Oh, I missed that. I was in the shower. His coming will be unmistakable. His coming will be unpredictable. No no charts, no graphs are going to tell you when he's coming. He also taught that because of those two things, his followers should live with a sense of ready eagerness for his return. And that ready eagerness should, can I use the word, should flavor our entire life, should be the culture of our hearts, this eagerness for Christ's return. And then, beginning in verse 14 of chapter 25 today, we'll pick it up. Jesus teaches that his disciples should faithfully do good until he returns. What we'll see today, and this is, if I can press this, uh, what we'll see today are the last words, the last teaching from Jesus to his disciples about discipleship. This is the last thing that Jesus will say about discipleship in the book of Matthew. The last thing Matthew records Jesus saying about what it means to be his disciple. Now, there's a parable that follow this, follows this is the parable of the sheep and the goats. And a lot of times it's, that is interpreted to be, hey, we should take care of people. And you know what? There's a lot of Bible for that, and it's true. That's a good place for an agreement. Okay. But the parable of the sheep and the goats begins differently than all the parables before it. Just read it carefully. It it begins differently. All the other parables talk about Jesus returning and gathering his servants. This is about being his disciple. But the the parable of the sheep and the goats says that that at that time he will gather the nations. And he will, then the nations will be judged by how what they did to the least of these his brethren. There's a little bit of a twist, and it's not necessary that you totally agree with me, but I'm probably right. And that is that that parable is that Jesus saying that he is going to judge the nations based on how they treated his church. You say, what? Well, that's different. Why, why, why would you talk about that? Well, why would Matthew write down a parable that would, that would tell the followers of Jesus 
that Jesus will hold the world accountable for how they, uh, a world, uh, followers of Jesus that lived in, in, in persecution and death and oppression, they needed to know that Jesus will have the final answer. But before he leaves, he talks, and here what we're going to look at today is this is the last parable of Jesus about what it means to be his disciple. And Matthew, if he's organizing this theologically, he places this here as the last thing that Jesus... What does it mean to follow Jesus? This. Disciples of Jesus should faithfully do good until he comes. Let me read to you. You can follow along on the screen or in your Bibles. I'll be reading from the NIV. And I will pause and just give the footnote there. Uh, in, in chapter 25, beginning at verse 14, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. He entrusted his wealth to them. To one of them, he gave five bags of gold. Now, your Bible might have a, a little bit of a, a, a note or an asterisk or a, a letter of some sort. In the NIV, it says bags of gold. In the New Living, it says uh, silver, I think. Um, the idea there is that if you look in your footnote in your Bible, it probably has the word talent. So this is the parable of the ten talents. So, But it's trying to give you the idea because you and I may not register correctly with the word talent. We'll explain that in just a minute. He gave them five bags of gold to one another. He gave two bags to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Womp, womp, womp. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. This is a parable about Jesus and his disciples. The man who had received the five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags. See, I've given you two more. His master replied, well done. Good. No, no difference. No decrease in the joy. Well done. Not, eh, not bad. If you read that, if in your mind you think, oh, the guy with two, all he did was not bad, then you're missing the master and the point. Well done, good and faithful servant. It's like it's the only guy in the whole world that ever did anything for him. Oh, look what you did. You were faithful. Not even count, didn't even count how many bags. Push the bags aside. Good job. You were faithful. You've been faithful with a little bit. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag came. Master, you're a big jerk face. (laughs) I love the gasp just now. What? 
What version is he reading? I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown and gathering where you had not scattered seed. I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Harumph. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. One more shirt. Your wicked, lazy servant, Jesus. So you knew that I harvest where I had not sown and gathered what I had not, where I had not gathered scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would at least have, I shouldn't say at least, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who's got 10. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The NIV says this is uh, bags of gold, but uh, it's originally, uh, uh, the word is talent. And so we have a story where uh, the master leaves and gives his servants talents. So we might refer to this parable as disciples got talent. <laughs> yeah. How long have you been waiting on that one, Dav? A while. The older I get, the more dad jokes weave their way into the message. That's too bad. <laughs> Time for a vote. Um, <laughs> Disciples got talent. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going away on a long journey. Hint, hint, hint. It'll be like as if Jesus leaves and he's gone for a smidge. It'll be like Jesus ascends and he's gone for a hot minute. But while he's gone, he entrusts his wealth to his disciples. He makes his servants stewards of his resources while he's gone. All that he's got, it's you, you guys got all I got and do everything you can with it. I'll be back. <laughs> There's not a lot of room in here for a church that says, well, I hope the Lord does something. The Lord's going to come back and said, I hope you did something. <laughs> talent. He gives them talents. Did you know, and I didn't know this, did you know that our word, now we, when I say talent, you think, oh, you mean like tap dancing <laughs> or singing or sewing or basketball or making things hurt. You have a, you have a, you have a talent. You have a <laughs> Yeah, do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, well, Google it. Steve Martin making things right. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> um, uh, uh, you have a talent. You can do something neat, um, that's, and you're, therefore you are talented. That's our word. And so we think, oh, did they borrow our word for that in the Bible and put it there? No, this is where we get this whole idea, this parable. Yeah. I did not know that. The whole thing, oh, talent, disciples got talent, Americans got talent. All they mean is they're quoting the Bible. Don't tell me people don't know the Bible. They're quoting it all the time. But it, it, it originally meant, of course, just a unit of measure. It was about 75 pounds. Yeah, of something, of, of, of worth, of usually precious metal. And as we said a few weeks ago, 
that 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 one talent, the weight the the weight of one talent usually was equivalent from anywhere between fifteen and twenty years' wages. One talent, your Bible might even just round up to twenty, okay, which is fine. So one talent, twenty years' wages for the working man. That's talented, okay. So, uh, but that's a talent, and that's what he that's what he gives them. He 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 disperses. Uh, uh, literally in the text, he is giving out units of money. How are we supposed to, as we lean into this just cognitively, how are we supposed to, what should we do with that? Because we, you know, we always know that parables mean something. They teach us spiritual points. So you know, we, we, we talked last week about different ways that people interpreted oil. So how are we supposed to interpret this idea of the he gave them talents, he gave them these resources to do something with? Does it mean that he made them his disciples and that they were to therefore go and make more disciples? Well, I'm not opposed to that. I like that. How many like that? I like that. I don't want to vote against it. Uh, does it mean he gives them his word and they're to become obeyers of his word? Does it mean he calls them to follow him and then they call others to follow? Does it mean evangelism, discipleship, worship, obedience? Sure. How many vote for all the above? I I believe that what is expected here could be probably as best gleaned from the language that Jesus uses to praise his servants. He says that what, what, in other words, what they have done, how they have acted is good and faithful. Good and faithful. Would you all say those words out loud? Good and faithful. So I, I really think that we should interpret this in the broadest sense. We should not try to limit it to one thing. But because it's not limited to one thing in the text, we should allow the text to mean a much larger emphasis. So let me su- suggest that what this should mean to us is that Jesus expects us to do good and to do it faithfully until he returns. Do good and do it faithfully until he returns. Why? Because you and I have received the goodness of God. And what he wants us to do is give it away. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7, Paul says, To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. He's literally distributed his grace, his goodness, his favor to his people. And the whole context of Ephesians 4 is so that we will do something with it. Peter tells us that we should use whatever grace has been given us to serve others. The goodness of God, the grace of God that has been given us has been given to us to do something with, to do good faithfully until he returns. Matthew chapter 10, verses 7 and 8, Jesus says it this way, as you go, it's participle, as you go, it's the same going as Matthew 28, the, the Great Commission, the Great Commission is just a furtherance of this commission. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. You are carriers of what you've been given. The kingdom of heaven. You've heard it, now give it away. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. That's good. 
Raise the dead. Good. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Good. Drive out demons. <laughs> freely you have received, freely give. Give away that. If, if we're supposed to give away that, then we should give away everything up to that. Be faithfully do good until Jesus comes. Now, there's one more note that I will, that I think should be added to this. It, I think, and, and I read a couple of things even uh, this week about this, it's pretty rare. I can't think of a resource, actually, that mentioned it. But I, uh, it's pretty rare, but I think we should not be too quick to exclude the most literal of these meetings. What? He gave them money, Ed. And he said, do something with this, make more of this, and have more when I get back. And we're quick to say, well, he didn't mean money. He must mean something else. Well, I think he meant a lot of things, but if you have been given financial resources... You should do something good with it and have more of it when Jesus comes. You should do something with it to enlarge the influence of your master's kingdom. The goal is not to enter heaven poe and broke. (laughs) That doesn't seem to be, that's not an allegory. No, it's just the most literal way to interpret the text. The master gives a different amount of resources to each of these three servants according to their ability. He gave them what was his, not theirs. What they received did not originate with them. That should give you confidence. You're not sticking your hands in your own pockets wondering what you can do for Jesus. What did did Jesus put in your pocket to do for Jesus? Each of them received something substantial. I know it's tempting to go, well, one guy only got the one bag. He only got one talent. He only got 20 years wages. He only got, the, he only got at a minimum like $1 million. Is there anybody that couldn't come up with a good idea to do something with a million bucks? If you don't got a good idea, if you got a million bucks and you got nothing, you got don't have an idea, talk, talk to Ed. <laughs> We'll set you, we'll settle you up before you leave today. I've got a million dollars. I can't do anything with it. (laughs) Each of them received something substantial, and each of them was able to handle what they were given. Each according to his ability. He didn't give anybody something that they weren't able to handle. So many times people think that's like like a condescending thing. Oh, I don't have very much ability. All he gave me was a million (laughs) dollars. When it says each to, according to their ability means that each could, each had the, the capacity to be responsible with what they were given. And therefore, each of them could be accountable for it. Jesus may not have given each of us the same actual resources. We may not all have the same ability but we must all give the same effort. Whatever you have, however you are able, you must do good faithfully. 
So the man who received five goes out, puts to work, gets five more. The man who has two goes out, gets to work, gets two more. The man who has one digs a hole in the ground. The first, the first goes out and uses what was given him. The second does the same. The third one, why does he do that? Why does he go off, dig a hole in the ground, and hide the money? Now, we've talked about the fact that that's what people did with stuff if they wanted to keep it from getting lost. They'd bury it. But why did he do that? We're not told. We're not given a motive, at least not yet. But as even as you read it, you kind of get the feeling that there may be something here that seems to smack of resentment and comparison. How often have people complained that because they don't have what others have, they don't, they're not going to do anything? That they justify their unfaithfulness because they measure themselves against other people. Resentment will just absolutely shut you down. Comparison will shut you down. But verse 19, here's the axis. After a long time, everybody say it out loud. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. He was gone a long time, but during the entire time of the master's journey, the faithful servants were to keep working. The whole time he was gone, the church, I mean the servants, were to keep doing good with what they were given. They were to keep increasing while he was gone. Every day was lived as if the master could return that day. Therefore, no matter how many days he was gone, every day was a day to be excellent, to be faithful, and to do good. Then the master returned to settle accounts. His servants had to give an account of what they had done with what he gave them. First servant, we know it. He says... Here's what I did with what you gave me. That's it. Here's what I did with what you gave me. What are you going to say to Jesus? That. Here's what I did with what you gave me. You're not going to, you're going to be all by your lonesome. You're not going to be able to say, here, you know, here's what, well, look, I didn't have what Paul had. He was good with the plants. He was faithful. He knew details. So disciplined. No, no, no. He's not going to. I don't get, there's not going to be anybody else in the room. Here's what I did with what you gave me. The master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with just a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of a lot. Come and share my own happiness, it says in the Navy. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. <laughs> Say it in King James, it makes mama glow happy. <laughs> the master shows great delight with the servants, but if you pay attention, it's not necessarily with their results. He doesn't say, well, let's count. And then, <laughs> then throw back a couple of 20s. You do something nice for yourself. He expresses great delight with their effort. 
with what he called being good and faithful. And then part of their reward was greater opportunity and greater authority. Now he's talking about after he returns, and so the, the implication is this there is there is that how we live in this life, the faithfulness of this life is going to have something to do with the opportunities and the influence of the life to come. But if that's true in eternity, we need to remember that what is true in eternity is always true in measure now. And it's true now that if you are faithful with something now, that is the way to be entrusted with more now. Too often people show contempt for and they disregard the day of small things or the season of the seed. But Jesus is measuring our effort, our faithfulness. And the real reward will be sharing in the abundant joy of the master himself. And again, when the second service come, second servant comes, he comes with, with essentially the same testimony. I doubled what you gave me. Here's what I did with what you gave me. I doubled it. And he shows the same effort, and there is the same response from the master. There is the same reward and the same joy. So it, like, oh, you had, you had different resources, different ability, but you, but you put the same heart into it, the same faithfulness, and you will be met with the same joy from Jesus. But then here's the man, verse 24, the man who received one bag of gold came. I mean, I can't play basketball like Andrew. I can't even move fast. But Jesus is looking for your effort, irrespective of your resource or ability. Can I just, maybe, I don't know who needs to hear it, but stop wasting your life comparing yourself. Then the man who received one bag came and said, I didn't do much and it's your fault. That's the paraphrase, but that's what he said. And that's what people say. I didn't do anything and I blame God for it. I'm mad at God. It's his fault. I'm not doing nothing. They put God on trial. Jesus comes to settle accounts with his servants and they put him on trial. You weren't good enough. I mean, it does. It smacks you. You you harvested where you didn't this. You didn't you didn't do that. Listen, people diagnose this. They say, oh, well, the master uh, never acknowledged that it was true. And that's true. And then they say all kinds of things. But we understand that this is about Jesus and nobody has ever outgiven Jesus. Jesus is the great sower and the great giver. So what we have here is someone who who absolutely intentionally has obfuscated the truth about Jesus. It's someone that knew it, that knew him, but they're, they have marred themselves in bitterness and resentment. And, he is, and irrespective of how much he has given, he does nothing good. He, there's not necessarily something that he does yet. It's, he doesn't go out and practice evil. He just doesn't do anything good. And then he was fine with this claiming that he just didn't do anything really bad. Here, I didn't lose it. That's essentially what he said. Here, I didn't lose what you gave me. But friends, what we see in this is that being ready, if we're going to say, are you ready? Being ready for Jesus to come back can never mean simply avoiding risk. We cannot hide until Jesus comes 
and then blame him for expecting too much. His master replied, here it is, you wicked, lazy servant. Oh, no. Why does he call him wicked and lazy? Because he refused to do good when it was in his ability and resource to do so. He refused to do good when it was in his ability and resource to do so. James says, to him who knows the good he ought to do and does it not, to him it is sin. When we refuse to do the good that God has resourced us to do, that is lazy and wicked. Whoa. That is not a great excuse for those. That is not a good, that's not good news for those looking for a good excuse. So he says, take the bag of gold from him who has the one and give it to him who has 10. And then he says, verse 29, in the NIV, Forever, for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. And whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. The, the new living translates it just a little bit different of a nuance. And I think it helps us feel the vibe there. It says, whoever uses well what they have will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever uses well, whoever takes what is given to them and is faithful to do good with it will be given more, and they will have an abundance. That's the point. Yeah, that's the shout part. Yay! That's the incentive. That's, where, that's the expectation. That's where Jesus is trying to pull us as his disciples. Whoever uses well what they have to faithfully do good will be given more and you'll have an abundance. Jesus is a Jesus of abundance. This is what he wants. He wants you to produce more so he can give you more. This is all very good news. But he says... Whoever does not use what they have to do to faithfully do good, even what they have will lose it. In our vernacular, we simply say, use it or lose it. The kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom, you are empowered, you are resourced, and you are responsible, and you are accountable, but you are not entitled. Use what you have been given, or you will have it taken away. And then verse 30, and throw that worthless servant outside. So he is wicked, lazy, and worthless, all because he refused to do anything good. Throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Once again, there's a lot of commentators that want to rush to make sure we don't take Jesus' words too seriously here. They want to soften the edge of what Jesus says. And the more we try to soften the edge of what Jesus says, the less fervent, good, and faithful we'll be. What good does it do to soften the edge of what Jesus says? No good will come from trying to back away from the seriousness of Jesus' statements. But neither will it do anyone any good to try to find out if it's as bad as it sounds. Don't do that. Well, I wonder if it's that bad. Maybe I should try to do nothing and see if it's that bad. There is no reason for you to find out what verse 30 means. 
Look at me now. <laughs> Look at my eye. There is no reason for you to find out what verse 30 means. You need to find out what verse 29 means. Whoever uses well what they have will be given more and you will have an abundance. Yeah. There, go that way. <laughs> Therefore, friends, believe this. Jesus is coming. And the disciples of Jesus will give an account of their faithfulness to him. Remember, these are his last, this is the last parable about being a disciple in Matthew. Jesus is coming. We will give an account of our faithfulness. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may, may receive what is due us for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. Friends, we will be rewarded on that day for the good we do in this day. Therefore, do this. Use well what you have to do good. Disciples of Jesus should faithfully do good until he comes. None of us will have the same resources or the ability, but all of us can give the same effort. Acts chapter 3, Peter goes, he's on his way to the, to the time of prayer with he and John, and they're, they're about to enter the temple, and there's a man who has been lame for almost 40 years, and he looks at Peter and John, and he, what he asks from them is money. And Peter says, I don't, in my pocket, I don't have money. I don't have money. I'm, I don't have that particular resource, but what I do got in my pocket is a lot of good. I don't got that in my pocket. I got something else. Yeah. And I'm going to use what I got in my pocket. But what I do have, I give. Someone say, what I do have. I give. Say it again. What I do have. I give. Oh, I don't got banjo. I don't got piano. I don't got, I don't got guitar. I don't got basketball. I don't got this. I don't got. But what I do got. Yes. Stop measuring yourself by what you don't got. Start doing something with what you do, God. What I do, God, I'll give. In the name of Jesus Christ, here's something really good. Why don't you not be lame anymore? Get up off the ground forever. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says this, friends. You are God's workmanship, his work of art. He has created you in Christ Jesus to do good works you prepared in advance for you to do. Not only are you assigned to do good works, he's already prepared them. I don't know what to do. He already knows. Galatians 6, 9, let us not become weary in doing good. Doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially those who belong to the family of believers. 2 Thessalonians 3.13, As for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. This parable is really a comprehensive lesson for excellent living every day in light of that day. Because, Revelation 22 says, Jesus says, look, I am coming soon. 
my reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what they have done. How will you use what you do have to do good? How will you faithfully do good until Jesus comes? How will you faithfully do good until Jesus comes? Because that is what it means to follow Jesus.
give you my heart. Let's stand together and give our lives to Jesus. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake, Lord, have your way. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you. I live for you. Oh, every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake, Lord, have your way me. Lord, we, your people, your servants, we thank you for entrusting us. Help us to understand, to appreciate, to believe the significance of what you've given us. And Lord, help us to live with the faith and the hope, the willingness to faithfully do good until you come. our commitment to you today, Jesus. If you believe that, would you say a robust amen? Let's give the Lord thanks for his goodness in our lives, can we? Give the Lord thanks for his goodness. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for how good you are to us. Lord, let an awareness of your goodness move and motivate us to give it away. Amen. Amen. All right, take a few moments. There's stuff in the cafe. Say hello to somebody. Be kind to those on your way out and do something good today.